The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. You are Locked On Braves, your daily Atlanta Braves podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Fifty-one thousand plus on their feet. Nobody's left to beat the traffic tonight. I guarantee you. Mark gets the sign. The wind and the pitch. Here it is. Long fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. Championship. Twenty-five lighters on my dresser. Yes, sir. You know I got to get paid. Now get ready, this is the Platinum Sombrero Podcast with your hosts, Dylan Short and Adam Doc Herbert. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Platinum Sombrero or the Locked on Braves podcast. But wherever you are, this episode of our show is brought to you by MyBookie. MyBookie.ag, the number one online sports book in the world. With the championship games coming up this weekend, as a matter of fact, you're catching this on a Friday. That means Oregon and Utah will be set to kick off right after 7 o'clock, maybe 7.30. I haven't checked that. But if you want to find a line on the game, MyBookie.ag is the place to go. If you're looking for any updated lines for any sport, whether that be basketball, whether that be football, whether that be, I don't know, probably badminton, whatever it is, you can find it on MyBookie, MyBookie.ag. Also, if you use the promo code ARMCHAIR, you know how to spell that, ARM, A-R-M, CHAIR, C-H-A-I-R, they will give you up to $1,000 on your initial deposit as a match. So if you put in 1000 they'll put in 1000 If you put in 1001 they're just going to put in 1000 so don't do that. But whatever you put in, MyBookie.ag has every line you could possibly imagine. If you ever have any questions, their customer service is second to none. So what are you waiting for? Get onto MyBookie, use our promo code armchair and start your games today mybookie.ag play win and have a great time all right doc this is a week full of stuff to talk about um some of it braves some of it not brave some of it braves related though uh trying to figure out where to start i think we should start with the obvious and i would just want to say for the record you and i are geniuses i think is an easy word um maybe Nostradamuses, but uh, definitely geniuses because you and I have been talking about the Braves adding Cole Hamels since the season was still going on. Yeah, I was uh, I was really curious to see what the Cubs were gonna gonna wind up doing at the trade deadline and see if they tried to kind of shuffle things around a little bit. And it would have been interesting to see what Hamels could have added down the stretch. Uh, he had dealt with some injuries last year, but I really think that 
This signing is super, super interesting for a lot of different reasons, and I'm not even sure that they're all necessarily related to whatever he does in the uniform as far as like performing on the mound. I think there's going to be a lot, a lot of intangibles and veteran presence and all that, that that comes along with this move. $18 million, though. That is not a move for the faint of heart. That's not a team that's trying to tiptoe around some payroll stuff. That's somebody that's really committed to going for it. No, and that and that one year eighteen million dollar deal, um, it's it's not chump change. But if you look at Cole Hamels, he was very very good last year before the oblique injury. Uh, if you if you take out his last ten starts, which were directly after the oblique, uh, he had an ERA under three, was striking out over nine per nine, uh, didn't give up a ton of homers at all, had a, a really good renaissance, and it's been a renaissance for him ever since he left Texas. Which I don't know if you want to call it a renaissance or just getting out of uh, a little league ballpark where pop ups go to the moon uh but cole hamels like you mentioned it's 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 beyond just the field stuff because cole hamels one of the first things he mentioned was that he wanted to be uh, a mentor to a lot of these young guys like he had uh, coming up in philadelphia and if you're talking about lefties to learn from cole hamels is one of the best left-handed pitchers we've seen in baseball in the last 20 years and I'm saying that knowing full well that the Braves had Tom Glavin. Uh, Cole Hamels at his peak, one of the absolute best left-handed pitchers of the 90s, 2000s, 2010s, whatever you want to say. And there's not really anybody else that I would pick to work with Max Freed than a guy that he's constantly comped to in Cole Hamels. Think about it. They both have, uh, they're both at their peaks, good fastballs, big-time breakers, uh, good movement on their pitches. The only difference is Max can touch 98. Cole could never touch 98, but tell you what, if there's anybody I want to have Max picking the brain of, it's Cole Hamels. So much of what you saw for the development of Max Freed last year hinged on the third pitch. You know, like you said, big fastball, big breaker, but he also was peppering in a slider and he was working on a changeup as well. Hamels' out pitch, like his go-to number one pitch, is is the changeup. So Max Freed with two pitches is great. Max Freed with three pitches is really, really great. So if he can have a solid fourth offering and learn it from somebody that he basically is is in the shell of and has been been that same mold of for for a really long time, I mean, that is huge. And I think Sean Newcomb actually stands to gain a lot for for a lot of the similar reasons. You know, Newcomb, big fastball, big curveball, but he his success hinges on as a starter at least as whether or not he's going to be able to develop that third pitch. So having a changeup that he could gradually work in, you know, whether him, whether or not he's going to wind up going back to the rotation full time, which all, all signs point to that being a thing, he's going to need that third pitch if he's going to stick there. So, and this speaks to exactly what I'm saying, the intangibles, the off the field stuff, the picking the brain of somebody who has been there, done that. He's 36, you know, he's, he's no spring chicken or anything like that, but they, they need an older veteran guy, innings eater type, and a lot of people are really clamoring for Madison Bumgarner. You and I have talked a lot. I mean, he, he's not – Madison Bumgarner's not bad, but he's not, in my opinion, he's not worth the money that he's about to get because so much of what's tied to him is the fact that he's got this deep postseason success and everybody looks at 2014 like, oh, my God, he's an animal. And, and yeah, what he did was really impressive. But Hamels has some playoff background too, won a World Series. He was a uh, NLCS and World Series MVP for the Phillies back in 2008. So you're basically getting that same leadership type stuff, but you're doing it in a very smaller unit. This is very insular, one year, high annual annual value. But how many times did we say last year there's no such thing as a, as a bad one-year deal with, with Josh Donaldson? So I like the move. I'm not quite to like I love the move, but I really, really like it. 
Oh, see, I, I absolutely love the move. I think Cole Hamill still has a lot left in the tank because his changeup is so good. He doesn't rely on the fact that his velocity's down. He's not throwing 95 much anymore, but he still has a good curve. He still has a little cut slider that he can throw every once in a while. But you're right. It's the changeup that he lives off of, and he doesn't give up a ton of home runs. I think that's always a factor when you're talking about who the Braves target. It's why I still think Hinjin Ryu is the main target for this pitching staff, and then you'll never give up any home runs ever. Uh, but when you talk about what you can do with Cole Hamels, he's done a lot of things he's been a he's been at one point one of the top three or four pitchers in baseball for a number of years I mean him and Cliff Lee were the were the DeGrom and Thor before DeGrom and Thor I mean or the Verlander and Cole before Verlander before Verlander and Cole I mean he's a very very smart guy he's a very very fierce competitor as you can see uh, where Yadi Molina tried to punk him and Cole was having none of it I love the Cole Hamels edition. Um, 18 million is a lot to spend and it's probably more than one year of Cole Hamels is worth. But when you consider the fact that there were six teams that were in on Cole Hamels at 15 million reported Braves throwing an extra three, what's an extra 3 million. If it gets you a guy that I feel better about than Dallas Keuchel, I feel way better about than Julio Tehran. Um, when you're talking about Cole Hamels, he's not going to be asked to come in here and be your number one. He's not going to be asked to be your lockdown guy in the playoffs. He's going to be a middle middle of rotation guy, and he's going to work with guys like Freed and Newcomb, uh, Tucker Davidson if he gets up here, or even even the righties like Soroka. Even though they don't throw with the same arm, the mentality is going to be what you want to talk about. The way you go about your daily preps, the way that the same reason why people thought about Brian McCann coming back, the things showing you what what you work on. That's to me what Cole Hamels brings you. And I know we make fun of veteran presence. There's no downside to me with this move. Uh, I love Cole Hamels. And like I said, this doesn't preclude the Braves from uh, adding any more rotation pieces. I do still think they're looking for a major top of the rotation piece. It just kind of shows you how much money the Braves are going to be looking at spending this offseason. Because if you and I can safely assume that they're not done because they still have nobody at third base, uh, and they're probably not done adding the pitching staff, they're already at 132 if everybody hits their arbitration projections. So we're looking at a team that's conceivably going to be close to 160. And I think that's what it's going to take. They needed to do that. They absolutely needed to do that. And it's it's funny how the narrative changes from season to season. Last year, they had signed Donaldson, but everything wound up this whole financial flexibility thing. And now you're seeing it, you're seeing financial flexibility this year too, but in a different way. Like you're seeing a team that isn't having to nickel and dime. Like they're not waiting back for... Matt Joyce to become available in spring training to fill out their bench or to get Anibal Sanchez like they did the previous year. But, you know, lucky them, they were able to do those moves. But now they're looking at it, they're like, we have the flexibility to give Cole Hamels $18 million when other teams might not be willing to go that high off the bat. They're like, yes, we want you. We can afford you. We're not going to wait till your price tag drops a couple million. You know, just because they're trying to, to shave off the edges. They can sign Will Smith and Travis Darno. They can they can actually do this now. And part of why why I said that I, I like the move, I don't love the move, is because it's eighteen million dollars. But at the same time, if the actual constraints are different, like I'm programmed to just be wary of anything that goes big like that when you've got like a $117 million payroll on opening day. If they're looking at $160 million, then this isn't eating up nearly as much of the payroll as it would have been in previous years. So that's probably, that's probably on me. So now you're looking at Soroka, Freed, Hamels, Fulty in your rotation, just off the top and probably Newcomb too. I mean, that's it's pretty solid. 
You know, that sounds like the rotation of a division winner to me. Well, the question is obviously, it may sound like a division winner, but we're not looking for that. Now that uh, a rival NL, NL East team has won a World Series, and now we are the final. Everybody has won a World Series before us in the last, what, 30? Let's see, 1995 is... We've won since the Mets. That's what that's what's important. But yeah, I think all the other ones have won. Okay, so yeah, the, well, we don't really count the Mets anyway. Right, um, exactly. But okay, we haven't been to a World Series. I'll say Ben, I won't say win, but we haven't been to a World Series in the same time frame as everybody else in our division. Uh, I think that I think that you and I were talking before the show, and I almost I wish that we'd been recording while we were talking because we said some good stuff there. Um, but <laughs> it's the director's cut. <laughs> when we get to talking about some of these other roster moves that were made, I. I there, there's another point here that I think might be getting lost a little bit in the shuffle. But before we get right into that, there are some other moves in the NL East that are getting made as the Phillies make a big splash signing today as they give um, Zach Wheeler, who a lot of Braves fans, myself and you included, were really hot and heavy for, especially when you look at his peripherals and what he's been able to do. Um, I don't think I would have given him 5 and 118, though. That seems real, real steep to me. And I love the stuff. Love Zach Wheeler as a competitor. Love him as a pitcher, but that's a bunch of money. Philly's got stupid money for, for the second straight offseason. And, you know, he was bound to get something similar to, to that. But, I mean, I think that willing to push and man, oh, man, oh, man. I mean, you're giving him like $22 million a year. That's more than double what Aaron Nola is making. He's not as good as Aaron Nola. Uh, you're you're giving him the same deal that they gave Cliff Lee back when Cliff Lee was an ace. It's the same deal they gave Hamels when Hamels was an ace. There's you are banking a lot on Zach Wheeler to stay healthy because to this point in his career, he doesn't have a track record of being very healthy. Now the last two seasons he's been healthy and he's posted seasons over four WAR, which is really really good for starting pitchers. So the talent's there, but man, you just paid a premium for. Basically, you just paid a premium for uh, for potential, I guess I want to say. And he's shown that he can be very good, but two years of very good does not usually equal $22 million a year for a pitcher. And yes, the money is different when you consider starting pitcher and position player because it's easier to affect a game as a position player. I mean, I mean, if it works out for them, fine, but they still have literal holes at second base and third base. Like, not just got to upgrade. Like, literally nobody. And it's, it's because of that, it's kind of hard to tell what his impact is going to be. You know, City Field is a big field. It's, it's a pitcher-friendly field. So, but one thing that a detriment that he has had is that he's been playing in front of the Mets. And their, their defense last year was real, real bad, okay? So he's going to go to a Phillies team that it would be hard for them to have worse defense, but the park is also a lot smaller. He doesn't give up a lot of home runs, but he didn't give up a lot of home runs in City Field. And if you start looking at overlays or something like that, then you start to look at it and say, okay, it's going to be flying out of here a lot more. Not to mention, if he is able to keep it on the infield, you know, they had Cesar Hernandez, they had Michael Franco. Neither of those are necessarily elite defenders. Uh, Hernandez is certainly better than Franco. But you run the risk of kind of hamstringing him with fly balls and ground balls if if you're Philadelphia and you don't wind up getting somebody super solid to put in there on defense. So if they wind up moving Gene Segura over to second and signing Didi Gregorius, then maybe, you know, that that does them some favors. They they still have a lot of work to do though. And and similar to how the Braves have been piling move over move over move, 
they got a head start. The Phillies are just now kind of starting to piece everything together. But there's a lot of potential for this to backfire. Now, if Wheeler signed with the Braves, I would be over the moon. I would be telling you about how amazing the deal is. But since it's Philadelphia, you know, I, I hate them and they're stupid and all that. So, you know, we have to talk about the, the downfall here. The common assumption is that one win, uh, win above replacement, is worth $8 million. And it doesn't always hold, but we'll just use it as an example. For Wheeler to be worth that contract, which, like you said, he's been worth more than four war each of the last two years, but he also missed two years before that, recovering from Tommy John. He's got to be worth three wins every year for the next five years just to make that worth it. That's the baseline right there. So somebody with that lengthy of an injury history, he's got to be really, really careful. He's got to really take care of himself. And you know, he's still got that Mets curse that's going to follow him around. I mean, he might have gout right now and not even know it. So we'll see. This is a, this is an interesting step for them. This is a crucial offseason for Philadelphia. I wouldn't be surprised to see them kind of start throwing good money after bad here. I mean, it, it's it's definitely a big moment for them. But as to your, as to your assertion that, that we'd be saying good move for the Braves, at $22 million, I would still wouldn't be saying a good move for the Braves. I had Wheeler pegged at, I thought he'd get paid. I thought he'd be the third highest paid pitcher in this class. Uh, but I had him closer to 20 or even closer to 18 if we're just going strictly by value. A lot of that, I don't buy into that one war is worth $8 million because are you telling me that you would have paid Camargo $26 million in 2018? I didn't come up with the number, man. I mean, that's three and a half war. You think that that was like there? There are far too many three war players for me to think that they're worth twenty six million dollars a year. Twenty four if you're just at three That's why I don't buy into that number so much. It's the same reason why I don't buy into surplus value on trades, because you can say that these four, you can say these four minor leaguers are projecting to put out the same war as this one major leaguer in the same span of time. It, it never works like that. Um, but I'm not. I'm not coming on to you. I'm just attacking the <laughs> the thought process of the eight million dollar per war. I think that's not smart at all. Um, but you know, somebody else come up with that. Somebody who's much better at math than I am. Um, I, I just think that that's a lot of money to shell out for a pitcher that you really don't know long term what he is, and he's already going to be thirty next year. And that's not to say that that he's aged badly because he still doesn't have a thousand innings on his arm. But there's a reason he doesn't have a thousand innings. Um, he had a shoulder injury last year. He's already had Tommy John. Whatever. I don't wish anything bad on Zach Wheeler. He's a good dude. Um, reportedly, the reason he signed with Philadelphia and not the White Sox, who offered him more money, is because his wife is from Jersey and she wanted to stay up north. So, uh, I guess the Braves fans can be upset about uh, can be upset with somebody else um, to keep a, a, a Georgia kid away from home. But there was some other some other movement going on around town, and it was non tender day. Uh, you guys know who we're going to talk about. There's one more than anybody else that we have to get out of the way. But before we talk about the Braves non-tenders, was there any other non-tenders around the league that really surprised you? Because there were a couple that shocked me. The Blake Trinan move from Oakland was was really surprising. He he did not have a good 2019, but he was as close to lights out as you got in 2018. And you'd figure that somebody with that level of track record and that stuff, I mean, he was just a fixture on the, the Pitching Ninja account for, you know, all all year long. Just the nastiest stuff. So while the Braves were trying to build their super bullpen, I would not be surprised for them to to take kind of a look at him there and see what it would take to get him there. Well you tell me that we can swap Shane Green for Blake Trine and I'd do that. That that would be fine. But but that's just it. You know, keep green. Keep green too. Just let it 
you know <laughs> well eventually eventually you're gonna run out of money if you do that nope, just uh, money or spot keep uh, throwing money at the problem that's the best way to solve any problem is just throw more money at it that's basic business <laughs> the one that shocked me the most because i can understand oakland I, I can't understand why oakland didn't find a trading partner but it doesn't shock me that they would want to cut ties with somebody before they started making real money um but domingo santana to me, that's a very, very odd one. Domingo's a guy that has very, very good. If you look at his batted ball profiles, they are really, really strong as far as hard hit rates, his fly balls, uh, his BABIPs. He, he always runs a high BABIP up in the 350s. He's a big-time power bat. He's not a great defender, and he started off amazing last season before some injuries. But that's a guy that I've wanted Domingo Santana in Atlanta for years, uh, and it just kind of shocks me that Jerry DePoto, who literally trades everybody for any reason, would just let Domingo Santana walk. That does seem kind of suspect a little bit. He he would be a really interesting option. If you're looking to upgrade an outfield, like you said, the, the defense is, is not all that. You know, he doesn't have uh, stone feet. He's not like Matt Kemp or anything. But He's not horrible. He's also not good. Right. Well, he also, he has the advantage of not having arthritic hips, which is just, <laughs> which is huge. But, you know, he's still got some pop in the bat. It's legit. And he hit 21 home runs last year. I mean, he did that in Seattle. And Safeco's a big place. So, Probably the number two hitter or number two pitchers park in Major League Baseball. Behind San Francisco or San Diego? It's right up there with both of those. I would say San I would say San Francisco San Francisco, I think, was the number one. I should look at the park factors before I do that. But I think San Francisco was number one. I think Seattle was number two, and I think Safeco was number three. And uh, yeah, I know that Miami was a big one too. They're actually moving the moving the fences in there. So I'd be I'd be curious. That'll be good news for Ronald Acuna. Yeah, right. If did you need to make it any easier for him to dominate in Miami? So okay. So here here's actually the listings. I was I was off by a fair bit. Um, home runs per game. Let me see. Make sure this is actually 2019. Uh, Oracle Park, San Francisco, number one. Uh, Miami, number two. Kaufman, number three. Oh uh, yeah. Got to make room for the waterfall in the outfield. Right. So, okay. So, Trinan's interesting. Santana's interesting. The Dodgers non-tendered Yimmy Garcia, who, he's a reliever, and he actually had negative value last year, but he actually, he generates decent results. The only thing is he gets, he just gives up too many home runs, which for a reliever, I mean, that'll kill you, but... that's a guy that if you feel like you can work with, and this isn't even necessarily for the Braves. This is somebody for like for the Orioles to take a look at, you know, just to say we feel like we can fix you. Every team feels like they can fix every player. So, but he's got he's got pretty decent stuff. I was surprised that he got non non tendered. Yimi Garcia is one of those that I don't I quite honestly I don't want guys that give up a ton of home runs in my bullpen. I I'm not really huge on Yimi Garcia. Uh, the Dodgers tried for a number of years. To, to make Yimi kind of work, and he couldn't work in that where he was never in high-pressure situations. Um, that one doesn't shock me. The Dodgers have a lot that they have to figure out themselves, about, especially after losing the way that they did, how they're going to proceed going forward. There's a lot of talks that they want Josh Donaldson as well. Um, Yimi is not a bad player by any means, but I don't think he's in the same class as Trinan and Domingo Santana. Oh, for no, sure. no, 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 no. That, 
But there's a reason why we discussed him third. <laughs> Travis, Travis Shaw a little bit. It's not shocking when you look at how bad last season was, but it is a little bit shocking when you look at how far he's fallen off since he kind of broke ground with Milwaukee. This is a guy that in his first real full season put up like a 3.7 war season. As a guy that was a decent enough third baseman that they actually decided to put Mike Moustakas at second base and just tanked hard. And there's a lot of people who were interested uh, along the Braves' Twitterverse as far as bringing Shaw in here. I don't know that I really want Shaw because he doesn't make a lot of contact, so that's not really something I'm looking for on the bench. It's fine to have a couple of those guys who you can try to put in in bomb situations, but for the most part with your bench-type hitters, I'm looking for somebody that can at least generate some contact. And last year was a big aberration for him. Like when when they got him from Boston, he showed up and he was really really good for two years. He also hit the longest home run I've ever seen. He hit, he was the one that hit one over the chop house off of Julio. It's still in orbit. It was the longest home run I've ever seen. It just never came down. Yeah, it's it's still out there. It's um you know it just, just passing Neptune. So so yeah, I mean he he's interesting, but like you don't feel any better putting him at third to start the season than you would somebody like Camargo or Riley. You know, at least at least Camargo and Riley have the advantage of being on the roster already. If you're banking on somebody like Shaw to come in and rebound, you know, he he's going to need to go somewhere that he can work the kinks out. Because like I said, last now, year was By the way, real that's bad. not to say that that is not to say that I would not give him an invite to spring training to see if he's if he can kind of rebound because he did have two consecutive seasons at like 3.4 and 3.6 war, uh, 30 home run seasons. And he wasn't, and he was a positive defender, not a great defender, but, but a positive defender. Yeah. He's, he's one of those, he's one of those guys that if he can show you that he can get, cause it, last year he struck out 33% of the time, but that was an aberration. Usually he's around anywhere from 18 to 20. Um, just, just not a guy that I think. I, I, he's he's not anything that's going to move the needle for me as a Braves fan. That's not the type of guy that I'm looking for with what our holes are. Well, and you got a couple of other guys too that are out there that that can give you decent defense off the bench. I mean, you you're not going to get a whole lot of starters out of somebody that just wound up getting non tendered. You know what I mean? Those, those guys are usually worth keeping. But if you start looking at some some bench pieces, like I'm intrigued by Cesar Hernandez because we got to see up close and personal what he can do 19 games a year for the past couple of years for Philly. That dude is a pest. He's a real pest. He's somebody that you would, that at least me personally, not at the value that he was, um, yeah, I think he was approaching $10 million with Philly. So you certainly wouldn't wind up giving him that. But if you could have somebody like that on the bench who's actually a pretty good hitter, he's got some pop, and he's uh, certainly serviceable on defense. Heaven forbid anything ha- should happen to Dansby or Ozzy. You know, Camargo couldn't fill the role last year, and the gorgeously quaffed gentlemen who we're going to talk about here in just a second, he couldn't fill the role either. So that's why they wound up having to go get Hechevarria. So you, you can have somebody who's like, who's done time as a starter like they did last year. We talked about Cervelli and Hamilton and Hechevarria and getting guys that had been starters and been, been regulars. That's another guy that you could get just to have veteran presence, bench guy type. I like the idea of Hernandez, but he could probably get a starting job somewhere. Probably. There's some other guys out there like Tim Beckham. Um, you wrote his name on here, and I instantly told you no. <laughs> There's a reason for that. Yeah, Mentor. Uh, Tim that. Beckham. Beckham is a garbage defender, horrific defender. Uh, and for a couple years with Baltimore and with Seattle, he was hitting really good. Turns out there's a reason as um, he was juicing a little bit. Uh, in his time since being the number one overall pick when he was supposed to be an absolute super stud coming out of the state of Georgia. Uh, Tim Beckham has been one of the biggest busts we've seen aside from Mark Appel. Um, 
But I that that's not a guy that I would take a risk on. I got to see him actually perform before I would believe in him again. Uh, Yolmer Sanchez is a guy that's a good defender, can't hit worth a lick, and I think those guys are a dime a dozen. But I think we've talked about other teams long enough. It is time to turn our focus to the Braves. Uh, we do need to get this out of the way before we move on to the second segment. Because I know everybody's got an opinion on this. And that's how the Braves non-tendered John Ryan Murphy. Can you believe it, man? John Ryan Murphy and Rafael Ortega. How could you let Rafael Ortega, who had a grand slam against the Dodgers, go? I was there for that game. Place went ape. Absolutely you were, crazy. That's, that's the game where uh, Cunha got pulled. That's right. That is true. No, but on a serious note, Charlie Culberson does get non-tendered, and um, I don't know if you're on social media. I would assume you are if you're listening to us, but um, it's not been going well. There, there's a lot of infighting um, one way or the other. There's a lot of fans screaming about how great Charlie is. There's a lot of fans screaming that Charlie's not real good. Um, it, it comes down to money for me. Um, I, I don't know your feelings on it. You and I haven't really talked about letting Culberson go. It doesn't shock me when you look at what Culberson gives you, and everybody's going to point to and say that that he was amazing off the bench. And in 2018, they're absolutely right. He was amazing off the bench. Had a lot of power. Uh, defense wasn't great, but he seemed to come up with big clutch moments all the time. But 2018 was also built off the year where in all of Major League Baseball, Charlie Culberson had the widest difference between his expected WABA, his ex-WABA, uh, which is the weighted on base average, versus his his true WABA or weighted on base average. What that tells you is that Culberson out of every major league hitter was the luckiest major league hitter. Uh, And that kind of bore out last season where Culberson started off pretty hot, started out pretty good. But after May 24th, ironically enough, the same time frame that the nationals fans kept crowing about um, Charlie Culberson became one of the worst hitters in baseball hitting under 210. No power, no slugging. And against right-handers, he was horrific all season. Now, you can point to the fact that he could play multiple, multiple positions, and you'd be right. The problem is he didn't play any of them particularly well. For $1.8 million, especially for a team that's been throwing money around the way the Braves have, that part was kind of surprising. And everybody remembers 2018, the Memorial Day weekend where he hit walk-off home runs against the Mets and the Nationals. You know, if if that happens against, like, the Padres and, I don't know, the Reds, nobody remembers those. But people hate the Nationals. People hate the Mets. So, triumphing over our enemies. The throw against Miami. It's all against division rivals that he's doing this stuff. And the whole thing with him and Dansby and... and uh, being twins. I mean, it was like he was ingrained into the team's identity for a little, it was just one of those, one of those things. And then we all remember what happened. The last pitch that he saw, I mean, it was one of the most horrific things you can see on television because there's no warning for it. It's just like, next thing you know, he just hits the deck after getting hit in the face. I mean, it's, it's horrible. It's a horrible way to go out on top of the fact that he's got to go out at all. But the numbers really just weren't there this year. We This is where it gets into baseball is a business, and it's unfortunate. It really is because we we love these guys. You know, we we assign a lot of things to these guys. They have no idea who we are, We and it's all stuff that we create, you know. So when these guys go away, you know, he, this is one of the, the bigger kind of dismissals we've seen in a while. Like the, the fan favorites, like during the rebuild when they were trading Hayward and uh, – Simmons and Kimbrell and everybody, that was really hard because we'd had a really long time to get attached to these guys and we haven't had to deal, you know, we ha- we deal with like prospects getting traded, but it's never like 
something something like this. It's unfortunate, but if you feel like you've got some redundancy on the bench and if you're trying to win, like feelings don't win World Series. And that's not to say that the Braves are going to go out and win the World Series without Charlie Culberson, but it's just a weird move. You're kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. I personally, I probably would have tendered him. But I can't say that I'm necessarily bothered by the fact that they didn't. And that's not to sound heartless. It's just, I don't know. I mean, dime a dozen type, you know, not not just, just for his toolbox, not necessarily for his personality. Because by all accounts, he's supposed to be just the most marvelous guy. And of course, you know, the hair. I mean, I'm not technically against that either. I think it's important to point out that it doesn't mean that he's not going to be back. Uh, it, it's not like the Braves can't sign him to a different contract. I just think once you get up close to two million, and you're right to point out that the Braves have spent a lot of money this off season. But you and I were talking before the show when we were figuring out our show sheet here. Um, we've we've made note of the fact that the Braves are spending a lot of money. That doesn't just mean that you just spend it to spend it. I, I really do think that Liberty Media, while they might have opened the purse strings for Alex, kind of just told him, hey. No bad deals, basically. Don't don't just spend to spend. Spend the money well. And two million for what Culberson gave you last year is not spending well, because he was a negative defender and he was a negative offensive player for the vast majority of the season. And that's not to say that I'm not saying that to be harsh to Charlie Culberson. It's just if you look at his numbers, that's what he is. And you can tell me that in limited at bats, yada yada yada. The fact of the matter is, he was worth point three WAR. He was worse than Nick Markakis last year, who we all didn't think was worth a lot of money at all. Uh, and while I love Charlie Culberson, he's he's not a guy to to get this upset about. Now, as a person, sure, but there's a couple other things you consider aside from the fact that they believe more in Camargo than they do Culberson as evidenced by the way that Alex has talked about Camargo and the adjustments he made when he got sent back down to triple a. Now we didn't get to see them very much. We only got to see about two weeks worth of them here at the big league level because he got, because he broke his shin, but Alex seems to believe in him a lot. Actually seems to believe in Camargo more than he does Riley. If you listen out to Alex talk, um, and you got to consider the bench. When you look at the bench overall, if you were to keep Culberson and that were to be the same bench that you'd be going into it with, everybody would be right-handed. And that's a problem in the in, in the National League where there's just not a lot of lefties on teams. You and I talked about it. There's almost no starting pitchers that are left-handed in the in the National League. What were there, 12 last year? Maybe? Yeah, and the Braves, Braves had a few of them. Right, and now the Braves have at least two of them, three, whatever you consider with Newcomb. Uh, I'm I'm not I'm not upset that Charlie's gone. Uh, I wish him well wherever he goes. He's a great guy. Pride of Rome, Georgia, first round pick, all that stuff. I wish him well. He's a great guy. But as far as this Braves team, I mean, I I have no allegiance towards anybody except for Ronald Acuna uh, and Max Fried. Aside from those two, I just want a championship. That I just want to win. I want to get past the first round. That that's it. If if Alex feels that he can get somebody else at $2 million to fill Charlie's role, I trust Alex at this point. I'm not going to get all bent out of shape over a utility player, to be quite honest with you. Fair enough. And you never know who's going to wind up coming in his place, too. It could wind up being somebody better. And when you strip. It could be a Danny Echeverria. I mean, it could have been between Charlie and a Danny. And, you know, Echeverria suffers from the same thing as Culberson to where he's right handed. So it's it's kind of it's easy to get emotional about something like this, but there's really only so many seats on the bus. And it's funny because there's actually an extra seat on the bus right. starting, the, you got starting 26. this year. Yeah, 26, but you got no lefties on the bench. It could have been between Charlie and Matt Joyce, and I'd much rather have Matt Joyce than Charlie Culberson. Agreed. 
agreed wholeheartedly. So now that said, we're talking about all these non-tenders here. Well, if you've been paying attention to either mine or Doc's Twitters lately, uh, you'll know that we've been coming up with a lot of trade proposals. I came up with a few the other day just because I was uh, in a certain state of mind uh, and and came up with a few on the fly. Well, we're going to touch on those coming up next because as we mentioned very obliquely, the Braves still have a fairly large hole at third base. We know about Josh Donaldson. We know a couple of the others that the Braves could be thinking of. But we've got some names that maybe you guys haven't considered or maybe haven't really been talked about. We're going to discuss all the options the Braves have to fill two spots in their lineup or two spots not counting pitcher, I guess I should say. We'll discuss those when we come back from break right here on the Platinum Sombrero or Locked on Braves. You gotta keep them separated. Welcome back to the Platinum Sombrero and Locked On Braves, everybody. All of a sudden, I'm Dylan Short, and with me, as always, is Doc Herbert. Well, it's December now, and regardless of whatever your religious affiliation is, you're bound to get some time off of work. Plus, you've got some weekends, and what better place to spend your time off than between the sheets with your go-to bone partner? Well, if you struggle with erectile dysfunction, your time in bed could wind up leading to a disappointing nap instead. But... If you're prepared, and if you've got a belly full of Blue Chew, your nap can go from 0 to 69 in no time. Blue Chew may not give you the ability to perform like a champion, but it'll get your blood pumping in all the right places, and you'll be able to pitch a tent that will test even the most robust of fabrics. Your junk can be harder than a statue with only slightly less historical significance. The ingredients are safe but effective, which is a win-win, and it works a lot quicker than any of the other ED pills on the market. Plus, it's blue, and that's fun. If you use our promo code armchair, Blue Chew will send you your first order for free. You just gotta pay $5 for shipping. Comes in a discreet package, so nobody's gonna know it's in the box except for you and your naked friend over there. $5, make somebody holla. Set your GPS for Pound Town and let Blue Chew take you there. Be too big for your britches? Go balls out with your balls out with Blue Chew. Okay, so it seemed like this particular offseason... Going into it, I think everybody kind of braced themselves for just having a really, really slow winter and waiting for all of the big free agents to sign until January. Like last year, you saw it with Machado and Harper. He signed by the time spring training already started. There seems to be a much different pace for the 2019 offseason. And I don't know about you, but I'm kind of loving the fact that there's been like news trickling out little by little every single day instead of just kind of a flurry of it late in the offseason. Oh, I absolutely love it. I mean, we're talking about the pace. You and I have been, I mean, when we had Mike Petriello on last year, we talked about that. We were wondering if that if the slow off seasons might be the new norm. This off season has been completely different, and I do think that a lot of it has to do with baseball wants to avoid a strike. So I don't know if there might have been some secret backroom incentive to sign some people early, but whatever's going on, I love it. Let's keep it going. Yeah, this is uh, it's it's reverse collusion. It's like, oh, hey, remember last year when we all weren't signing anybody? Yeah, we're changing. We're totally going in the opposite direction now. You know, the Zach Wheeler signing already. The the winter meetings are next week, and we've already got one of the major free agent pitchers has signed. Mike Mustakis just signed with the Reds. That not only did he sign with the Reds, he signed like a it's a pretty big deal. I mean, four years and sixty four million dollars for somebody who's 
they're signing to play out of position. I mean, that's almost kind of reckless a little bit. I mean, Moustakas had a good couple of years playing for the playing for the Brewers, and you know when he wound up going back to the Royals, it's nice to see him finally get a good free agent deal. But between that and Zach Wheeler getting 118 million dollars, teams aren't being nearly as frugal as they have been in the last couple of years. So it's not just the pace. It seems like this is like a 2015, 2016 type of offseason. So if I'm Garrett Cole or Steven Strasburg, I'm licking my chops. And if I'm Jake Odorizzi, I'm firing my agent like now. He, he got swindled taking the qualifying offer. Absolutely. And it's so weird when you look at that. You and I were praising Odorizzi for being smart enough to take the QO. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, looks like he probably shouldn't because... Uh, it's a lot of money being thrown around right now. $16 million a year for Moustakas seems insane to me for a guy that last year couldn't get 10 This is the, the third third year that he's gone, gone into free agency, you know? And he, he's a solid guy. He's still got good power. For being a bigger guy like that, I, he moves pretty well. I, the second base thing is interesting, but, you know, I'm... For anybody who listens, you know that I, I try and praise the Reds where I can. I love the, the aggressiveness that they had last year, even if those moves didn't necessarily work out with getting Kemp, Puig, and Alex Wood. Uh, they were they were making the full court press, and I, I think that, that it's interesting they're doing it again. But the Moustakas signing, it's this really interesting thing where now there's one less third baseman on the market, but none of the teams that needed a third baseman actually have one because he's going to wind up playing in the middle infield now. So... As Braves fans, we've been kind of bracing ourselves to possibly lose Josh Donaldson under the guise that there's somebody else that we can get to, to fill this. And Mike Moustakis was the first name on everybody's lips because it, yeah, he was projected to get 2-20. and 20. I don't know if I'm the Braves, if I would have signed Moustakis for $64 million to take the place. I mean, that's getting, that's kind of approaching Donaldson money. So now, if the Braves miss out on Donaldson, they don't have a Moustakas to fall back on, and we still don't know what's going on with the Chris Bryant grievance. God knows we've talked about how much we both would like Chris Bryant to come to Atlanta a bunch over the next or over the past couple of episodes. So we're not going to talk about that now. That's well documented. But there are some other options out there other than just, just those guys, and we're going to dig into them now. One of them... This is actually the one that uh, was the catalyst for making this list. You suggested on Twitter, and that's Hunter Dozier from the Kansas City Royals. Would you like to expound on why you would like Hunter Dozier in the Braves lineup? Well, when I was looking at stuff like that, it was it was right after Moustakas had signed, and I was just trying to play it out, whereas I'm in the camp that I really do think that the Braves are going after Chris Bryant. I think that's been the target all along. I think they've been looking to make a splashier uh, trade this offseason to unload some of the the pitching that's now kind of built up and uh, almost built up too much in the minors at this moment, in the high minors. You don't have enough spots for everybody in there, especially with what you've done with the bullpen. Uh, but once Moustakis got taken, like you mentioned, that's your fallback option if you don't get a Bryant trade done or if you don't sign JD, you can live with Moustakis. Now that Moustakis is gone, I was trying to look around and see who else might be available. And it's a hard thing to find because there's not a lot of great third basemen out there, and there's not a lot of good third basemen that are going to be available in trade. So when you're talking about Hunter Dozier, you're talking about dealing with the Royals, who are a horrendous team that, if they're smart, are going to be stockpiling prospects. Uh, and Hunter, Hunter Dozier is a guy that has really good power, had 26 homers last year, and uh, playing most of his games in a massive gargantuan ballpark. Usually walks, he walks at almost a 10% clip, 9.4 last year. Doesn't strike out a ton. 
Uh, hits pretty good. I mean, 279, 348 with a 522 slugging. That's nothing to sneeze at, especially with a 360 Waba. Uh, the problem is defensively. Now, if you're just going by defensive war, it's not too bad at negative 5.7. But when you dig into it a little bit deeper and you start going into the advanced metrics, uh, then things kind of fall apart a little bit. That's where you see that um, at third base in 2019, he was worth negative 14 defensive runs saved. Just for a little clarity, that's essentially Nick Castellanos, his final year as a third baseman for the Tigers before they moved him to the outfield. Yeah, they decided that his third base defense was so unpalatable that they had to get him off of the dirt and put him out in the grass. So that And this is where it really kind of gets tricky because Dozier is like a, he's a great example of all of the different options that are out there on the market. There's always going to be some type of wart on these guys. You know, Donaldson's got his too. I mean, Rendon is pretty much the only spotless option there, but he's probably, he's priced out of the Braves price range. So actually, by the way, let me clarify. That is the exact DRS of Nick Castellanos in 2017, which is the last time he had a thousand innings at third pace. Okay, so that there you go. That's that's a really good comp right there. And with the bat, like you said, 279, 348, 522, that's a solid slash line, 26 home runs in 139 games, 15.6 on the offensive side for the war. So it it does balance, you know, and like you like we pointed out in the first segment, Coffin Stadium was the third hardest park to hit a home run in. So if you take that bat, you move him into a place that's slightly more neutral like SunTrust, you could get a couple more home runs out of him there. And maybe working with Ron Washington, you know, he can't, there's only so much he can polish what's there. He can't get any worse. Well, right, exactly. So, you know, as the saying goes, when you hit rock bottom, the only places you can go are straight up and sideways. So I think the other point of that deal, by the way, is that it would not be prohibitively expensive when you're talking about what you'd get in return. Because while he is a very bona fide power bat, um, the Royals aren't in a position to acquire a ton of top-end talent. They don't have anybody that you look at and say, this is a top guy in the league. Now, I know he's a three-war guy last year, but three-war guys, while that's very good and that's above average, it's not like you're trying to deal for your guy in Matt Chapman. Oh, the prospects I would give up for Matt Chapman. <laughs> There's You'd need to. when Okay. Matt Chapman, the thing about how good Josh Donaldson was on defense, and Matt Chapman was way better. He's legitimately, he's like Arenado-level defense. He is absolute freak, and he's a he's power better than too. He is better than Arenado defensively. Yeah, That's, I mean. He is, listen, the, and I, you guys know me, and you know how, how this is going to sound like sacrilege coming from me. Matt Chapman is a better defender at third base than Andrelton Simmons is at shortstop. I never thought I would see the day that I heard you <laughs> I heard you say something like that. But it's true. It I hurt mean, my heart to say it, but it's true. Yeah, Chapman is just highlight reel. And when you look, I made the comparison on Twitter earlier this week. Five years ago, Alex Anthopoulos called Billy Bean and said, hey, you have a defensively solid power-hitting third baseman playing for the A's with four years of control and two years of service time, and I would like to acquire him, please. His name was Josh Donaldson. We know what happened after that. And for 
eventually with what the Braves are doing, the money's kind of going to run out. Okay. Like I get it. You want to give Will Smith $40 million and Travis Darnos, you know, you want to give out all these contracts. They just gave Cole Hamels $18 million. They're looking at a higher opening day payroll than they've ever had. And they still have not filled the hole at third base. You could put Johan Camargo there. You could put Austin Riley there if you want a cheap option. Okay, fine. But only if you fill holes elsewhere. But if you are Alex Anthopoulos and you can call Billy Bean up and say, just what you said five years ago, I want your third baseman who's got four years of control. That is a deal you feel comfortable moving prospects for. You can trade, you can put Austin Riley in that deal because he's a big league piece. You can sell it as you are not completely tearing down because you have a guy that you can plug in now. You have Sean Newcomb who can be used as a starter who you can plug in. That's a big league piece you can use now. Yes, you're going to have to come off of somebody like Drew Waters or, or Ian Anderson. If you're using the big league pieces, you might not necessarily have to use both. But as it pertains to the money running out, Matt Chapman is still pre-arbitration. He's going to make $565,000 next year. So for a team that is approaching record levels, you do have to be smart about the money that you're going to wind up throwing out opening day. Anthopolis talked a lot last year about we want to make sure we have money available in season at the trade deadline for upgrades if need be. And they use that money this year and they will probably wind up using it next year too. Chapman gives you power. He gives you defense and an infield core of Matt Chapman, Dansby Swanson, Ozzie Albies, and Freddie Freeman. That is chef's kiss. Just, I want that. That's, that's a six win a year player and the Braves can do it. They can afford to do it. That's a six-win player who still hasn't figured it all out offensively. I know. I know. That's so, the so thing. There's still so much to. There's still so much more to get from him offensively. Yeah, I mean, he even still we had 70, 75 extra base hits last year, thirty-six home runs. SunTrust is smaller than Oakland. If I'm, if I'm, excuse me, it's bigger. Wait, SunTrust is no. smaller than Oakland, so the power yes. numbers would wind up going up a little bit. The doubles might go down. They might turn into more home runs. That that's the move. That's the move for me. I well, just <laughs> the Bryant thing. They they keep piling money on, and that would be fine. They could probably move Ender in that deal or Shane Green and clear a little bit of money. But Chapman gives you control. That's somebody that's worth moving prospects over. Well, back over here in the world of the living and not make believe land. Oh um, come on! You, I, you, I, I know you want to trade for Chapman too, and don't even lie. Of course I do. Of course I do. Uh, I just don't think Oakland has any impetus to actually trade him at this moment. Um, they're yeah. a playoff team. They seem to be trying to go for it more than anything else. Um, there is another name that I came across, and it's one that I came across two years ago, and that's Eduardo Escobar. Now, despite the fact that somehow Arizona was was like in the playoff hunt for a lot of last year, despite you and I both saying that they had maybe the worst lineup we'd seen in the National <laughs> League for a while... Um, Eduardo Escobar is a guy that I think you could get pretty easily, and he's not a guy that would cost a ton. Now, he's got some control. He's still got uh, two years left, I believe, through 2021. So he's got two years at $7 million a pop. That's really good, especially when you consider that he's a three and a half, three point six 3.6 and 3.7 war. He's a guy that hit 35 homers last year, and before you say, ah, oh, well, it's Chase Field, since they installed the Humidor, Chase Field has been less of a hitter's park than SunTrust Park has. Uh, and you're talking about a guy that's switch hitter, so he's going to get to take advantage of the fact that SunTrust is easier for a lefty to hit a home run. He's a guy that doesn't strike out a ton, less than 20%, or right around 20%. Um, went 269, 320, and 511. The OBP is not really what you're wanting to see. You were wishing his OBP would be a little bit higher, but he's a plus defender at third base, former shortstop. 
He's got experience playing second base and experience playing the outfield. He's like if Camargo could hit 35 home runs. That's about what I equate Escobar to. Um, are there flashier names on the market? Sure. But Escobar is one of the most solid third basemen in the last two years. He's a guy that uh, has really shown that his power has kind of grown as well. And I think a lot of it is going to depend on as long as the juiced ball is coming back, which I kind of hope it does now. Uh, a guy like Escobar would be a great under-the-radar target, especially if you're not looking to deal from your top three prospects. Then I, I think that uh, Escobar is a guy that you should really be on the lookout for. It's not the main guy. Obviously, I'm a Chris Bryant guy. Um, there, there's some other names on here as well. But if you're talking about pure third baseman, I mean, I, I think it's between Hunter Dozier, Eduardo Escobar, or if you want to get crazy, Chapman. While I do think that Oakland does live by the rule that nobody is untouchable, I think Chapman is as close to untouchable as they've ever had. And no doubt about it. I mean, this is a premium player, so you would have to surrender a lot. But that's the type of impact move. That's that's a huge, huge move right there. And because of what it would take, I do think that it they would have to think long and hard about it if you could put together a prospect package. You, you're you not going to get a deal like that without losing somebody off the Major League roster and either Pache or Waters or, you know, that one would hurt. That one would hurt. But there are a few trades that would really, in my opinion, would wind up being worth that type of capital outlay. But I think I think that's one of them. I like the idea of, of Escobar like you're talking about. We talked a lot about him uh, moving last year uh, when he was still with Minnesota before he wound up going to uh, Arizona. He was a target that we both kind of had. I just wonder. I wonder if they if that's... Something about his profile just doesn't... We talked a lot before... We talked a lot before the show. You were right. We should have really recorded a lot of that. But as far as talking about, like, your stereotypical, like, your profile guy, even with the 35 home runs, I still don't know if he fits that cleanup role for me. Maybe it's maybe it's because the uh, we need, need to get a good, solid righty in there, and he's a switch hitter, and he would wind up hitting lefty more. So it's going to be real lefty-heavy if they're not careful. Another name I've seen kind of floated out there, granted this was D.O.B., and this was probably him just pontificating uh, while he listened to Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds and drank black coffee, uh, was Justin Turner. Like, if Anthony Rendon winds up signing with the Dodgers, which would not surprise me at all, then they would have Justin Turner. But you can't exactly move him across the diamond. Like, there's only so many places you can kind of put him because you still got to have places for uh, Corey Seager, Max Muncie, Cody Bellinger. You know, there's... And Gavin Lux is in the infield now as well. I mean, it's entirely possible that the, the Braves could possibly go after a guy like Turner, who is a little bit older now, but he still fills that traditional cleanup power hitter third baseman role. He checks multiple boxes for that if they're willing to take on $20 million for next year. And that That's a lot to ask for. And Justin Turner has been one of the greatest stories ever from getting non-tendered by the Mets to being one of the best third basemen in baseball. Again, it's a, a three-and-a-half war player, pretty common theme throughout. That tends to be what you and I are looking at right now is guys that are above average but aren't you know superstars. They're not Anthony Rendon uh, or Nolan Arenado. But I wouldn't be opposed to Turner. You are going to always have to worry about health now that he's 35 years old. Um He's a good hitter. He's a really good player. He kind of reminds me, and maybe it's just the hair and the face, but he kind of reminds me of Jason Wirth without the beard, although I think he's kind of got that going on too. Uh, just a, a pesky guy that, that always seems to have tough at-bats. He's got some pop too, which is good to see, uh, 27 homers a year ago. 
I mean, I wouldn't be opposed. I mean, that's a lot of money, and I, I do wonder what they'd make you give up in prospects because the Dodgers, as much as I hate them, they're not stupid. They're a very smart club, and they everything they do tends to be with a reason, and they don't generally get burned on deals. Um, I wouldn't be opposed to that. But there's another method. Let's say that the Braves decide that they'd rather fill the power bat through the outfield because power bat doesn't necessarily have to mean power hitting third baseman. So let's say the Braves don't want to give up on Camargo or Austin Riley or whatever, or say they can't find a deal they like for a third baseman. Uh, Say they can't get Chris Bryant or say they don't get Josh Donaldson back either. They could fill that through the outfield and the outfield is an easier method to fill that bat, but you're still going to have that whole third. And that's obvious with guys like Marcelo Zuna who are big time power bats, whose defense by the way should pick up as he's another year removed from that shoulder surgery. Uh, Marcelo Zuna is a guy that we saw firsthand in the playoffs can absolutely rip us apart, but there's a few other names that I was playing around with. And one of them I just threw out in this this trade that just kind of popped into my head that more of a fantasy trade, and that's with Tampa Bay. And that would be uh, my fantasy trade was Blake Snell and Tommy Pham. Now, I don't think you guys have the stomach to hear what it would probably take to get both Pham and Blake Snell, but I texted you that trade as soon as I thought of it, and... Uh, you instantly just said that's a 110-win team, and it most certainly is. But, but Tommy Pham himself is, is a really good player that really goes underlooked. Yeah, he was never appreciated the, the way that he should have been when he was with St. Louis, and I still don't fully think he is. He had a year where he was a six-war player. Tampa, Tampa is in such a weird – like their opening day payroll was $52 million last year, and they made it – they waited to the playoffs. It's unreal. Like we talk about, you know, the Braves need to increase payroll. Braves payroll is $65 million higher than the Rays were last year. And they won the same amount of games. It's unbelievable what they're doing down there. But because of that, they do have to be cost conscious. Tommy Pham's about to make $8.5 million. He's 15% of their payroll. I don't know if that's as off the table as it might initially appear. Now, Blake Snell, I love your enthusiasm. I don't know if that one's going to happen. I just don't know. There's no real impetus to, especially since they signed him to a deal where he literally gets paid $10 million a year until 2023. Like that, that might be the, that's, that's the same deal as Aaron Nola, essentially. Um, the only reason I even threw that out there is because it's the Rays and there's nothing they like more than selling high on somebody. Um, and with him coming off a 2.7 war season, I don't, I think they'd be even less inclined since he had a four the year before, but for Tommy Pham, He's a little bit older, but he's still really fast. His defense in a corner is much better than his defense in center field was. Uh, he's a good bat. He's had 21 homers two years in a row. Now, he's still not your your prototypical cleanup guy. Uh, I know Tropicana is not a great place to hit home runs, but the rest of the AL East is. So it's a little bit worrisome that he was only at 21 in the year with a juiced ball. But he's a guy that I would love to have here. He fits a lot of the same boxes that people that say that they like about Nick Markakis. Tommy Pham fits a lot of those only better. Um, the other name, and this is pure power perspective and pure because this is something that almost happened in 2016. Jorge Soler. Yeah. Interesting, interesting name there. Andy, I know you're listening and you hate this idea. Sorry. You have to deal with it just for a little bit. You know, he was, he had so much potential when he was with the Cubs, but he could never get there. And this was the he has first the year. Fast, the fastest bat speed I have ever seen. 
Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. He he's got he's still got massive I mean, how old is he now? Is he is he he's even 27. 30 no, he, he's 27. He'll be 28 in February. Yeah, I mean, he he was like in the um when all of the Cuban stars started coming over, he he came over and was just dripping dripping with potential and he signed that 9-year, 30 million dollar deal or whatever it was that was just kind of one of those like it's like the Beatles record contract. You look at it like, why did you sign this? <laughs> well, he had a huge, by the way, he had a huge breakout built off of, I'm going to give you two numbers here that are going to make you go insane. Doc, are you ready for these? I hope so. Okay. His, the first number is 41.2%. That is his fly ball percentage. Last year in 2018, which was kind of regarded as his breakout before his injury, he was at 34%. It's a pretty big increase. That is a 7% increase. Now, here's the crazy one. 46.7%. That is his hard contact percentage. That is criminal. For a guy that's putting putting the ball in the air that much, I mean, that's that with a juiced ball, I mean, it, it's no wonder that he had 48 home runs in Kauffman Stadium. I mean, it's absolutely, and that's, he had 42% in 2018, up from 31% the year before that. So, it is a true, true breakout. I mean, it's he's finally realizing that potential. He hit 21 of his 48 homers in Kaufman last year. Which is impressive. I mean, when you look at his baseball savant page, like the sliders for hard hit contact rates. Oh, it's it, all elite. Yeah, it's like the the darkest of reds. He's like, in, he's got absolutely elite exit velocities and everything. And the problem is the defense. You know, it's so bad. It's so bad. And he's going to make $11 million next year. And this comes back to what we were saying before. There's always going to be warts on somebody. If there weren't, then they would have been locked up or the Dodgers would have traded for them because that's what the Dodgers do. In so, 447 in the third innings, you're talking about negative 8 DRS with a negative 9.9 UZR. You have to try. You have to go out of your way to be that bad. I mean, that's but to be fair, if we're talking about Nicholas Castellanos, who, by the way, is one of the most overrated players that we've talked about this season, when you consider the fact that Castellanos has essentially just put up the same wars as Mike Moustakis, I would love Solaire in this lineup so much. I trust Castellanos' defense over Solaire's, and that is that should pretty much tell you everything you need to know. I don't know about that. I, I, uh, I'm going to pull up Castellanos' defense here. Just so, just so I can tell you. By the way, they're both twenty-seven, mm-hmm. so they're they're the same age. You'd be paying Castellanos considerably more, um, who and he is not as powerful a hitter as as Solaire, not by a long shot. There's not many in the game that are. But, true, yeah, that's very true. Castellanos, just what he did when he went to Chicago is really intriguing. And anytime somebody racks up fifty-eight doubles in a season, then uh, I'm paying attention. You know, and yeah, and I mean, Petriello, the doubles are cool, but. Friend, friend of the program, Mike Petriello, also had an article talking about just comparing other players his age, the amount of innings that they've had in the outfield to this point. And he's got like a third of the innings as some of the other guys. We alluded to how bad his defense was at third base. And him moving into the outfield was kind of a, just within the past couple of years. And he's gradually improved as well, they go. <laughs> Here's his outfield numbers from 2019. Negative 9 DRS with a negative 4.9 UZR per 150. Negative 4.9 range runs. So either way you slice it, it's bad defense. I guess the thought process for me on this is with Ronald and Ender in the other in the corner and center field, the defense is so good. I'm willing to sacrifice defense for my left fielder. Honestly, I am. 
Now, do I want to sacrifice for that bad of defense? You'd have to hit very well to offset it. Solaire can do it. Castellanos can do it too. Um, I would just prefer Solaire to Castellanos personally. Just give me the guy that can hit 50 homers. But then again, at the same time, if Solaire's going to wind up costing $11 million and Domingo Santana got non tendered when he was supposed to make $2 million last year, at that point, you just go after Santana. That just costs you a little bit of money, and you don't have to wind up trading somebody to a rebuilding team. But it's nowhere near the talent. It's nowhere near the talent, but it's also nowhere near the cost, which does have yeah, to be but, considered. Well, that's my point here is give me the talent. Like I, I'm not in this this year to, to talk about cost. The Braves obviously aren't in this to talk about cost. I mean, they're giving out $40 million deals to a reliever. I think finally, finally, we can be past the, yeah, well, this guy's cheaper. I think that that's not a concern anymore. You know, and that's it's funny that, that you even have to remind me of that. I was talking about that with the Hamels thing. The reason why I like it and not love it is because I'm pre-programmed to, you know, bristle anytime the Braves wind up spending that level of money on somebody. Because that last year that deal would have been uh quick math, like not quick enough math. Sixteen percent of the payroll. We'll just say sixteen percent, but now it becomes it's much essentially less. it's essentially the Dallas Keichel prorated deal. Pretty much. And you know, Keichel is yeah, he was all right. He he didn't he didn't do what I was hoping he would do. He didn't do what I think a lot of people were hoping he would do. He was serviceable, but he was misused because because of what happened in the past. So I don't know. Yeah, I'm still I'm still not quite used to every time I turn around the Braves are throwing more money at somebody else. And the free agent signings are nice, but I think that because we've talked about the prospect logjam, like you do eventually have to trade these guys. And one thing that I know that is coming up to you a lot is, you know, we are team Christian Pache. We, he is the guy. And eventually, you know, even if you wind up getting Solaire or Fam or Santana or whatever, one or both of these guys is going to take over out there. But if you're going to upgrade for somebody like a Chris Bryant type or Matt Chapman, then you're probably going to have to trade one of these guys. And because of that, I'm not willing to put Christian Pache in any of my fake trades. <laughs> so I always default to Waters. And I know you do too, but you were getting a little bit of kickback on that, right? Yeah, not really kickback. I've been asked a couple times um, whether there's something I know about Drew Waters or whether I just don't like Drew Waters, and that's why that I continue to trade him. And the answer is no. I love Drew Waters. Uh, I think Drew Waters is an absolute stud. I think he's got the potential to be a Bryce Harper type impact bat. And before you get really upset at me and say, oh, well, Bryce Harper hasn't done what everybody thought he would, consider when you're talking about Drew Waters that he hasn't morphed into his major league type of hitter yet. Doc, you watch a lot of minor league ball and you, you take a look at a lot of minor league stats and things like that too. When you take a look at Drew Waters right now, a lot of what you're seeing right now is not what you're going to see when he's 23, 24, 25 as a major league player because he still doesn't have a lot of loft on his swing. It's still a very line drive oriented swing. That's why people keep saying when he gets bigger, just wait until he starts putting these line drives over the fence. Well, the problem with that is it's very rare for somebody to carry over their same contact rates when they add loft to their swing. Contact does tend to suffer. And so I've never seen Drew as a guy that's going to hit 285 or 300. That's not the way I see him if he's going to be a guy that hits 25 or 30 home runs. And there's real questions as to whether he's 30 home runs or not, but I do think that he's definitely a 25-plus home run guy. The problem with Drew is when you're comparing him to Pache, a lot of people think that Drew is ahead of Pache right now because they're just kind of looking at the surface numbers. 
Uh, and Drew's offense is probably a little bit ahead of Pache's right now. I mean, I don't think it's a, a shock to say that. I don't think it's out of line to say that either. But a lot of what Drew is doing right now is Babbitt-based. And, Doc, you've made this point probably three or four times on the show. When you look at Drew Waters' line at, at Gwinnett, for instance, and even his line at Mississippi, his Babbitt at times is up into the 400s. Like that is not sustainable at the MLB level. So the real question is, what is Waters' actual line going to be? And is his BABIP that high because his swing is level and line drive based without adding the power? What happens when he adds the power? Not only that, you're talking about the difference between Pache has the highest floor of anybody in the Brave system right now. Because even if his offense doesn't really come around, he's going to be at least a two war player, close to three, just based on his defense alone. I mean, if you want any further proof, just listen to Andrew Jones talk about Christian Pache's defense. Listen to anybody who's watched it talk about Christian Pache's defense. It is generational defense. It's better than Lorenzo Cain's. It's basically Byron Buxton-type defense. When you talk about something like that, that automatically gives you a very high floor as long as you're on the field. With Drew, you're talking about a guy that's going to be in a corner. So a lot of that value is going to hinge on his power. If he doesn't, loft in his swing to unlock 25 to 30 home runs. You're talking about a guy that's going to be a 15 to 20 home run guy in, in right field or left field. That's not necessarily as valuable. But what you're talking about with true is if everything clicks correctly, if, and that's a big if with him, he's got a very wide variance. His floor is kind of low, but his ceiling is very, very high. So when you're talking about who the Braves would rather trade, I think they'd rather hold on a Pache just because you know, Alex and company seem to like floor. They seem to consider floors a lot more than they consider ceilings. Same thing with why they chose Langoliers uh, at the pick that they did. And Pache being a 65 future value fan graphs tends to agree with that assessment as well. But to get these guys like Chris Bryant or Matt Chapman or Blake Snell or any of these impact major league players, you can't just overwhelm them with quantity of prospects. It does come down to quality. And the Braves have three prospects, maybe four, considering it however you feel about Kyle Wright, but definitely three prospects that are quality, quality, as in top quality prospects. And that's Christian Pache, that's Ian Anderson, and that's Drew Waters. And teams, if they're giving up a position player, they would prefer to have a position player in return because a position player is more valuable than a pitcher because they play more often. It's just how it is. So I, I say all that long-winded speech to say this. I love Drew Waters. I do not. I would love it if he stays here forever. I believe in Drew Waters. I think he's going to be an absolute stud. That The reason why he's included in my trades is because if you're trying to get a six-war, a five-to-six-war type of player, other teams are not stupid enough to say, sure, I'll take your 15th prospect instead. Agreed. If I'm an opposing GM, I'm, and I've got one of these marquee guys, like you said, they're not stupid. They know how good the prospects are, and they also know what the Braves are going to need. They know that they're in a position to ask for Drew Waters because since they have Pache, you know, you can almost say, you know, split the difference. You know, we'll, we'll keep this guy. You can have that guy, but, you know, let us have Chris Bryant or Matt Chapman. And when we're going that, through these... By the way, it's that redundancy that you mentioned earlier. Yeah, and when we're looking at... Dozier and Solaire and all of these different guys were just were saying, you know, they've all got their warts. It's their defense. I can't play defense. And it drags their overall value down. For a guy like Pache, 
you just you gotta see him play defense. He's so instinctual. He it's like it's like Ender, like in the same way that he just kind of glides everywhere he goes. It's it's it's, it's re- exactly like Andrew. It really is. When you watch the plays that he's getting to on the run instead of diving, it's a lot like Andrew. As soon as it's off the bat, it, it's it's one of those things you can't teach. Yeah, and it's it's refreshing. Like defense, you know. Whether it's whether the team is on offense or on defense, by by and large, it's it's whatever. It's equal. But watching somebody play outfield defense and having it be like a notable and refreshing, and not just being like, okay, this guy's out here doing his job. He's out here. He's loving the fact that he's doing his job so well. It's Pache's special, and Waters is special too. But it's gonna take one of these guys to make one of these big impact moves, and some. And it's different for everybody. Some people are, are on the flip side, where they won't include Waters in, in their hypothetical deals, but they will always include Pache, or they won't include Wright, but they'll include Anderson. Different people see and prioritize different things. So if if you're one of those people that, that would rather keep Waters and trade Pache in your fake trade, well, then do it. I mean, you're not actually trading them anywhere. So, but they're... The way the teams trade now is very different. The information that's available, the underlying stats. I mean, we didn't do an entire segment on advanced analytics and talking about why this matters and why teams would look at this just because we thought it would be fun. I mean, that type of stuff. This is what teams are looking at, you know. And somebody with elite exit velocities, when they're in the low minors, you can bear out a low batting average because somebody's just smoking the ball. They're just hitting it right at somebody. So dig deep. When you're looking for these types of things, you know, put yourself in the shoes of the other GM and say, would I want this player? Well, of course you would. If you're Billy Bean and you're willing to give up Matt Chapman, then okay, well, we'll start with Drew Waters and then we'll go from there. Especially knowing that they have Ramon Laureano, who is an amazing defender, and that Oakland might prioritize Drew Waters over Christian Pache. Yeah, they might feel like he's a better fit for the organization or for whatever they're trying to do. There's a million different little things. So all I just want to say is I love Drew Waters. I do not hate Drew. Uh, I think Drew is an absolute super stud. I just think Pache is a little bit better, especially if Pache's offense reaches what we think it can. But that being said, I don't care if you think that Drew is better. Uh, I, I think the Braves are in a great spot with either one of them. I think if they trade either one, the, the one that they keep is a more than a fair consolation prize. That being said, we have run a little bit long in this episode, a little bit longer than we intended. So I'm going to go ahead and cut this episode off here. If you're listening from Locked On, thank you guys for uh, bearing with a much longer episode than you guys are used to. For the TPS listeners, thank you guys so much as usual for listening to us every week. Uh, I think we're going to do this for the rest of the offseason. I think we're just going to combo it um, and and just combo both shows for, for the rest because, you know, why not? A lot of you guys listen to the same shows, and for the Locked On guys, you can get some quality instead of me pushing out 15-minute episodes every day. But whatever it is, whatever the case is, thank you guys so much. We'll be back again next week or the next time the Braves make a big move. So if they, they trade for Chris Bryant in two days, guess what we'll be doing in two days? Um, anyway, Doc, thanks for, for joining with me. I know it's a little bit later than we usually record, but uh, thanks for being with me. Hey, this is this is 93. We're fast-tracking towards 100. So the last week in January, everybody um, everybody, get ready. We are going to drop the 100th episode spectacular. We hope in the meantime that the 93rd episode spectacular has been enough to wet your palate. Dylan, thank you for having me as always. As always, and thank you guys so much. Again, we'll be back next week on either one of these platforms right here on the Platinum Smear or the Locked on Braves podcast.
One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.